Yeah, so we, you know, there's a couple of things here. You know, one, uh, we just want to, uh, and really wanted to clarify the statement, uh, meaning that um, you know, we are forgiven. And, and, and really the way that I'm kind of interpreting is that we don't have to beat ourselves up. A lot of churches will preach this legalism. Like if you do something wrong, like the boogeyman who is God is looking over you and he's like, we're going to punish you now. That's not how God works, right? He wants a repentant heart, and so we don't have to beat ourselves up. And so we just found it to be, Alan, if you can kind of go back to slide one, actually, because that's the video. It's okay. And so we just wanted to use it as an example of when you guys have questions. This is a church atmosphere and family where you can come and you can just ask questions. Like, hey, can you give some clarification on it? I didn't quite understand it. And we'll take the time to do that. And that's, uh, that's what we're all about here. Amen? Amen. Amen. So glory to God. So uh, I was away last week, as uh, some of you may have speculated. Um, I was up in uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, uh, with a ministry called uh, Eagle's Wings. Uh, Robert Stearns, I don't know if any of you have uh, heard of this man, uh, but he's a big time, big time, big time, uh, uh, poof, I don't even know what to call him. He's a little of everything. Uh, but he leads trips to Israel, and uh, he heard about me from Jose, my brother-in-law, and he got real excited. So he actually uh, flew... His ministry flew Jose and I up there to uh, come and connect with them and minister a little bit at his school, uh, sharing my heart about Israel, because they are about to uh, do a bunch of things. Uh, but one is have 72 hours of praise and worship in Jerusalem. Uh, they're inviting the nations of the world to come to the old city of Jerusalem to actually be in the underground quarries that King Solomon dug out to build the temple. They're packing it with some of the, hopefully, God willing, some of the largest, most powerful worship leaders on planet Earth. And they're going to rise up to go up to Jerusalem to lift up a song of praise and worship unto God. This is the first time something like this has been done in 2,000 years. Okay? And so he invited me up there to come and talk with him about it, to plan about it, to network about it, uh, and to kind of, you know, just just connect because he uh, knew of my heart uh, about Israel. So... I don't know if any of you could spend the whatever amount of money it's going to be to go to Israel, but I want to, you to at least get excited, even if you couldn't go on such a journey as this, because it is expensive. Just get excited about what the Lord is doing in these last days on planet Earth. There are certain scriptural things that must happen before the coming of the Lord. And one of them is that, G, that, that, that the nation of Israel will come back to the land of Israel, one of the things that's going to happen is that the, the capital of Jerusalem will be back in the hands of his people, which happened in 1967. And another thing that is supposed to happen, as it says in Romans chapter 10, 11, and 12, is that there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the Jewish people. Things are, things are being set up for this to happen. Just the fact that the Israeli government is like, Sure, born-again, spirit-filled Christians want to come to Jerusalem and uh, worship for 72 hours and pray out and cry out to the Lord. Yeah, you guys can do that. The fact that the Israeli government is allowing that to happen is in itself an historical miracle. So if we can make sure we have the computer music on before you hit play, let's just see what's happening. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk 
in his paths. It has been 70 years since Israel was reborn as a nation. It has been 50 years since Jerusalem was reunited and freedom of worship filled her streets once again. And now, all around the world, there's a movement rising up to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, from the four corners of the earth, we're regathering in the Holy Land to bring a 72-hour offering to the Most High. Trusted Christian leaders are calling worshipers from all over the world to come home to Jerusalem. A new day is dawn and a new time has come. The time is now. It's time for Jerusalem. This is something that's being written in heaven, right? This is like a big deal for those of you who are plugged in and understand the, the, the purposes of Israel in, in biblical history. This is huge. So I wanted to show you, that was kind of my weekend, <laughs> dealing with some of this stuff and talking. I'm very excited uh, to see what's going on. I'm not going to be able to go because I have to teach, right, at, at the high school. So I'm a little bummed out about that. But it's okay because we get to stand by right in the spirit and lift up this mission from the Lord. Amen. All right, so let us begin today, before I ramble anymore, uh, but there is a purpose in this because today is going to be a little bit about Jerusalem, using Jerusalem as a, uh, an archetype or a symbol of some of the things that uh, we're going to continue to learn about. Uh, and so today is uh, our third or fourth part of the series of Arete, Excellence in Body, Soul, and Mind. Uh, and I want to uh, use a concept of just three letters uh, to really take us into the next place where I feel the Lord is, uh, is bringing us as a, as a body. Uh, and those are the three letters of Y, E, and S, right? Uh, yes. Three letters, very, very powerful. Uh, and yes is a very powerful wor word. It is the first word in agreement, right? When you are about to do something, the first word of agreement is a simple three letters of yes. Uh, these three letters are used to bind covenant with one another. Relationship with one another and with God. You think like when you accept the Lord, you're saying yes, right? In your heart and in your mind. Uh, yes is so powerful that it is used to bind a marriage contract. Everything else is going on, right? Everything, you know, you vows this and everything. But when it comes down to yes, I do, boom, it's bound, right? The covenant is made between a man and a woman. Um, it is extremely, extremely powerful, right? Uh, so a yes solidifies covenant relationship. Uh, a yes mobilizes, hopefully, the decision of your heart. It mobilizes it to transfer to your mind. And ultimately, your yes should turn into an action. So essentially what we have here is excellence in body, soul, and mind. When we want to just invite the Lord into those three different parts, it must begin with a yes. A yes in your mind. Yes, Lord, I want to go further in you. Yes, Lord, I want my body to be a temple. Yes, Lord, I want my mind renewed. Yes, Lord, I'm coming to faith. My spirit is being renewed. And so it's just so cool to see how the Lord works because just this week and, uh, and what was going on last week, and I feel like the Lord is pressing on my heart that really uh, the story, the story of yes in our heart and in our mind actually in an allegorical way, begins with a city. The yes of your mind, the yes of your heart, the yes of your soul can actually be seen as a symbol in the beginning of a city, and that city is Jerusalem, the city of peace. So let's see how the Lord brings us all together. And here is a little 
aerial view of, of Jerusalem. For those of you who have, have not been there, so you can kind of get a sense of the pulse of the city. Go ahead, please. best trailer I could find, you know. If we could switch to the uh, computer, that'd be great. So uh, Jerusalem, you're like, all right, what's going on here? Yes, Jerusalem, I'm, I'm believing that this is going to make sense because it made sense in my spirit and my mind, but we'll see. You can let me know later. So what do we have here, right? Jerusalem, the city of peace. Uh, when I watch a video like that, my heart kind of gets stirred and I almost want to cheer up in part because I live there and my, my heart is just so there. Uh, but another thing is because it's the heart of the Lord. And in Scripture, he actually says he's placed his name on the city, right? Uh, it's a place that he has called to be the place of his worship, right, on that Temple Mount. Uh, and he is the place where he is, in fact, coming to reign his millennial kingdom from that location, right? And so my, start get, my, my heart gets stirred, but when I take a look at this, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy city, Today it's crazy, and it's been crazy throughout the history of the world. For example, it, uh, Jerusalem itself as a city has been attacked 52 times. There is not a city on planet Earth that has been attacked as much as the city of peace. It has been captured by 44 different empires and peoples. It has been besieged, overtaken... Con like conquered through fighting and warfare 23 times, and it's been destroyed two times. Just to get a little picture of what's going on, this is like crazy, so don't worry if you're not grabbing all of it, but just a little bit of a historical picture. First, the Canaanites had the city. Then King David gets the city. Then it transfers from King David to the Assyrian Empire. Then from the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. From the Babylonian Empire to the Persians, from the Persians to the Greeks, from the Greeks back to Israel, 
Then it goes to the Roman Empire. Then it goes to the Byzantine Empire. Then it goes to the Muslim Empire one time. Then the Crusaders from Europe came down and took it from the Muslims. Then the Muslims take it back from the Crusaders. Then the Crusaders get it again. And then it goes back to the Muslims again. And then the Muslim Empire controls it for about a thousand years. In 1917, the British Empire takes it over. Then 40 years later, the nation of Jordan gets Jerusalem. Then uh, 19 years later, in 1967, it goes back into the hands of Israel. There's a short history of the chaos of the city of peace. But yet, through all this, it's, it's known as the city of peace. And this is uh, really, really kind of bizarre. And now, why is this? Well, there's a couple things we can do here. One uh, is that many times a battle must occur to bring peace. In our very safe, western, industrialized, technological system we live in, we forget the principle that sometimes peace is brought forth through war, through soldiers, through men and women dying, laying out their blood for peace. See, Jerusalem has been a battleground, and sometimes a battle is needed to bring peace. It's an unfortunate reality because of a fallen world, but it's the way that it is, unfortunately. But why else is it a battleground? It's a battleground because this is the location where Jesus is going to return, people. I love it. So many Christians think the guy's going to return to like Washington, D.C. No. He is going to return to Mount Zion. He's going to return to Jerusalem. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom there. And he's going to judge the peoples of the earth there. That's why it's a battleground. That's why it's ping pong, ping pong, back and forth. Because principalities want that place. Because if a principality of Satan controls the place, it's going to theoretically delay the day of the coming of the Lord, which is actually kind of a joke, right? Because the Lord just like, it's time. See ya. Peace out. <laughs> but that's why there's so much craziness. And anyone uh, who's ever been there, when you're walking around the streets, I'm telling you, you feel it. Uh, you, you, like my brother Jose, uh, Jose, like I was telling him about all this kind of stuff. And then he went to Jerusalem. He's like, dude, I, I, did, I, I didn't even know what you're talking about until I was driving up the mountains of Jerusalem. And you just, you just like, you, feel, you are entering into another dimension. It is, it is, I can't, you can't put words to it. You can't put words to it. Because there's an intensity there. Now, okay, cool, that's, you know, that's the city of Jerusalem. But, um, in my estimation, there is actually only one other place in the entire cosmos where there actually might be more of a battlefield than Jerusalem. Uh, that place is your mind. Now, I hope your mind isn't destroyed. But your mind is continually trying to be besieged. It's continually trying to be captured. And sometimes it is captured and then you get besieged by good things. And it's ping pong, ping pong, ping pong. Why? Because it's in that place where, in fact, Jesus is supposed to dwell in your mind. And so the enemies of the Lord are continually, continually coming out, trying to attack that mind, just like he, the enemy is trying to attack the city, the physical city of Jerusalem. So there, there's a symbol here. There's a Jerusalem and then there's a mind. 
Now, the rabbis uh, have, throughout the ages have taught that Jerusalem is in fact actually two cities. A little Hebrew here. Um, Jer is actually ir in Hebrew, or yer, which is city. <clears throat> and then salem, or shalom, is peace. Ir, peace. But the end of it, when you say it in, in English or in Hebrew, it's Yerushalayim. That im is actually a plural. It would be like us saying Jerusalem's, E-S. So actually, in Hebrew, when you're saying Yerushalayim, you're actually saying Jerusalem's. Why? Because it is a city of duality. There are two things that are always going on in that place. For example, there is good in that city. It is the city of peace. It's the place where the Lord is going to return. There are great, beautiful, awesome things that are happening in that city. But there's also a place of darkness and evil that is there. There's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of killing. There's a lot of demonic forces. There's the spirit of Islam that is there. The spirit of orthodoxy in, in Judaism that keeps women in a, in a secondary citizenry state. It's a city of light, but it's also the city of darkness. It's a city of peace, but it's a city that has seen nothing but war and bloodshed. It is the city of the crucifixion, but it's also the city of the death of Jesus. It is the city of the new Jerusalem that is coming down onto earth, but it also is an earthly place where people are buying food from the market. So... A duality. There's really two essences that are there, right? There's the Jerusalem of heaven and the Jerusalem of earth. Jerusalem is a physical place. It is a place of biblical realities. Uh, it's also a present place of the Jewish people, but it is also a future messianic kingdom. But what I'm trying to do here is also articulate that Jerusalem is in fact also a representation of metaphysical space. And what I mean by that is the Jerusalem is also a picture of your mind. What do I mean by this? Your mind is really a representation of the binding of body, soul, and spirit, which we've been talking about. But it is also the place, just like Jerusalem in the Old Testament, just like Jerusalem in the future, it is a place for the habitation of the Holy Ghost. So about the Holy Spirit being in our heart and all Yes, he's in your heart, but he's, he's also supposed to be in your mind. So... Your mind is supposed to be a place of the habitation of the Holy Ghost. And we know that there is a battle, whether it's in the city physical of Jerusalem, or a battle of your mind, the city of peace. There is a battle on who and what is going to conquer it and control it. Who's going to have victory of your mind? So... What we do know is this. The physical teaches us spiritual things. That location right there, where that golden dome, which is on top right there, that is the location where Abraham takes his son Isaac and goes up the mountain and lays him out on a rock and is about to sacrifice him until the Lord provides a better way. That is the actual place. Right there. We, we, it, that's it. The Lord teaches us physical, or shows us physical things, and teaches us spiritual things. It's there that there is a sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the hundreds of thousands of bulls and goats that were taking place. Uh, it is the place where the 
Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was actually manifest in the temple, and the priests would have to go in. And the other priests would tie a rope around their, their waist, because if the priest wasn't pure, he would be struck dead in the presence of God, and they would have to pull him out. Right there! Right at that place! 2,000 years ago, the Romans destroyed it. And they carried off everything that was in the Jewish temple. And as I said, it's the place, man, right there where uh, you know, the clouds are going to open. The great shofar blast occurs. The Lord places his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's living water that flows out of it that's going to give birth and life to the desert. And he's going to set himself up to rule there. It's unbelievable. And so fine, what does this all teach us? What this teaches is that essentially Jerusalem and your mind is a battleground. But just like Jerusalem, it is destined to be a place of worship and praise. Your mind has been destined to be a place for worship and praise. Now we go on and we say, yes, Lord, I want to worship you. Bringing it back to the word yes. I want to worship you in body. I want to worship you in soul. I want to worship you in spirit. But unfortunately, it's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, we talk about this word yes, but the reality is this. Uh, it's not enough. Your yes is only a word unless it's brought forth into action. You can't marry someone and just say yes and then do nothing. You can't be in agreement with a friend or whatever and then do nothing. Your yes needs to be mobilized into something. And so we have some biblical lessons uh, that we see in this. Um, so what we'll do here is first see what the Bible is telling us with this yes. 2 Samuel chapter 24. We see a little bit of what a yes takes. What does it take to build a city of peace? What does it take to build a city of peace in your mind? It's not enough just to say yes. And so we're looking, we're looking, we're looking at some of the history behind Jerusalem to see what it teaches us about our mind as a battleground, as a battlefield, the place of the worship of God. Because that's what Jerusalem is destined to be, and it's what your mind is destined to be. Amen? So, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18. King David has come uh, into Jerusalem, uh, but there's other people that control it and own it at that time. It says, Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord. This is the first time that there has been a, something that's being spoken that it is time now to build an altar of worship to the one true God in a place called Jerusalem. This is the first time. Go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor to Arunah the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of a man by the name of prophet, really by the name of Ged, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aaronah looked and saw the king and his servants coming to, toward him. 
Aaronite is essentially a, a Canaanite. So Aaronai went out and bowed before the king with his face on the ground. So down below on his knees is Aaronah, and King David is right there. King David, Israel does not have control of Jerusalem yet. He bows with his face to the ground. Then Aaronah said, why has my lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the fleshing floor from you, to buy the land from you. And to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Because there is plague and sickness. Now Aronah said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aronah has given to the king. And Aronah said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aronah, no. This is King David now speaking. I will not just receive this land from you. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so the Lord heeded the prayers of Israel. The principle that we have here to build a place, an altar of peace, an altar of praise and worship in your mind. We want to say that we want to worship the Lord with our mind. We want to worship and love the Lord with our heart, our soul, or might, as we've been talking about. But we have a principle here, principle here by King David where Someone was just going to give him the real estate and just allow him just to worship here and to own this place. And David says, no, I don't want this free land. It's not, it's not befitting my God. How can I worship the Lord if it has not cost me anything? Your worship unto the Lord must cost you something. It costs you your time. It costs you your money. Yes. It costs you your emotions, your feelings. It costs you your thoughts. You've got to push them aside. Lord, I do not want to give you a sacrifice that does not cost me something. Because it means then, has no value. What's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is not giving something that you do not feel its sting. A sacrifice is something that's going to hurt. Right? Worship team, if we come on up, please. To build a tabernacle of praise inside of your mind, it's going to come with a cost. And so that's the first real biblical principle that we see here. And the cost has to be more than yes. <laughs> that's not a cost. That's a statement. Your yes now gets mobilized into something, and that's where our cost comes in. You guys following? Yeah, okay, cool. The next uh, principle that I just want to discuss today uh, is dealing with Ezra and Nehemiah. And so now we fast forward a bit in the history of Israel. David builds up a, creates an altar to worship the Lord. Solomon then builds the temple, essentially that platform, essentially, of what you saw earlier. 
But then uh, Israel grows wicked, right? They forget their first love. Their sacrifices cost them nothing. They just do it out of rote memorization and as a culture. I read recently, what is the definition of religion? The definition of religion is society worshiping itself. What are your own cultural norms? What do you do? What is your social thing? That's what religion is. You look at any religion that is not rooted in faith. They just do things and they worship their own culture. Look at our culture of X religion. Look how great it is and fantastic it is. You're worshiping culture. You're not worshiping Yahweh. So that's religion. It's worshiping what you're able to do. And essentially Israel began to do that and the Lord came in and stirred them up and took them to Babylon. And there the psalmist says, how can I sing the song of the Lord? As I sit by the waters of Babylon and weep. If I forget ye, O Jerusalem, let my right hand lose its cunning and let my tongue stick to the top of my mouth. How can I sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? And they're yearning and they're praying and they're repenting and the Lord is just working it out. Because he said, how much is it going to cost you, Israel, to return to the land? What are you willing to give to have the right to be back in the land again? What are you willing to give up? Which parts of your religion are you willing to give up to get the restoration of your mind again, people, is what I'm saying. It comes with a cost. So Ezra brings some of the Jewish people Back to the land of Israel. Nehemiah is going to be in charge in building the city of peace again. Because it was destroyed for the first time. Destroyed. And so he's going to rebuild it. So you have Ezra that brings the people back. Nehemiah who's going to build up the city. But there's a problem in transfer. There's a problem of coming into the land and building the land. Coming into the land is yes, we will go. Yes, I will build an altar of praise and worship unto my God. But now to build a tabernacle of praise, something else must happen. Many of us come back to the land of Israel. What do I mean by that? You come to church. You say, yes, I'm coming to church. That's Ezra. We come back to the land of Israel. You come back to the church. But now Nehemiah is in charge of building the walls and building a tabernacle of praise for the one true God. Something happens where there's a missing link between the two people. There's a missing link between coming to church and building an altar of praise at church. Ezra is bringing them back. What's happening here is the Israelites are marrying pagan wives. They're not marrying. They're not saying yes in covenant agreement with the daughters of Zion. They're coming into agreement with the daughters of Babylon. Which is an abomination before the Lord thy God. <sighs> Essentially what's happening here. When they choose the pagan wives, they are choosing the things of the world. Ezra confronts Israel and says, how dare you marry pagan wives and meddle with the affairs and the things that are not of God. 
And the people repent. And they say, essentially all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes! As you have said, Ezra, we must put away the pagan ways. We must, must put away the pagan gods. And put away the pagan wives, as I said, and marry only the daughters of Zion and only worship one God. Yes, as you have said, so must we do. We must do. Your yes is coming to church. Your doing is building an altar of praise in this place. They build a place, a city of worship, a city of peace. With their voices, they cry out and they worship, but they also do it with their lives. And so in conclusion, what we're getting at here is this. We need to build a resting place. We need to build a resting place in this place. Not a resting place for your worries, not a resting place for your concerns, a resting place for the Shekinah, the manifest presence of God to fall. It will not come with a yes, it will come with a yes, we will do as you have said. We will put away the pagan things, we will put away the idolatry, and we will say yes in our heart, we will say yes in our mind, and we will come, and it will be at a cost. A cost of my time. A cost of my wallet. A cost of my week. I'm tired. I don't want to come here on Wednesday night into prayer. I don't want to come here on a Saturday at men's breakfast. I don't want to do all of that because I'm tired. And the Lord says, but it's a cost. And you lay it down. And when you lay the cost down and your yes is mobilized into action, the presence of God falls in your midst. Amen? What is worship? Worship is very easy. Worship is agreement with God. And agreements come from your mind. Yes, I agree with you, Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, 22 says, We are being built to become a dwelling place for God. What's so beautiful here is the action verb, the active parcel transfer of the verb. We are being built. It's a continual, continual, continual act. It's not that you were built. It's not that you, are go you will be built one day. It is you are being built. We are being built for a dwelling place for the Lord. And what does that mean here? It's like as we are being built, more and more of the presence of God comes into our midst. The Lord just kind of hit me over the head. Because we've had fant fantastic teachings here, not just not from me, but from Alan, from Millie, from Josh, from Guess. And we're, we're talking about all of these things. You know, we're talking about all these like really like cool stuff with the Lord. How do we set our minds right? And how do we choose the right thing? And how, how do we not beat ourselves up? And all this stuff, which is so divinely true. But the Lord just hit me over the head the other night. He's like, Dave, do you want chains to be broken? You want depression and anxiety and sins to be broken? You want worry to be broken? Build me an altar of praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. If I want my mind renewed, if I want my soul renewed, step into the presence of God.
And that happens when you say yes and you come with a cost. When you lay things down, when you stay a little longer at service, you're just like, Lord, I just need your presence. I want to build a place for your presence in Bristol. And I want to build this place inside of my heart. You want arete, I want arete, we want excellence of body, we want excellence of mind, we want excellence of soul and spirit. If that's the case, I would just suggest to you that what we need to do and the mandate that the Father has given to the Son, and the Son has given to the Spirit, and the Spirit has given to us, is to restore a tabernacle of praise, not just in the physical land of Jerusalem, but in your mind. Build a resting place. Build a resting place. Build a resting place for the Spirit of God inside of your mind. Build it. Build it. Build it. Build it. How? You say yes. How? It comes at a cost. How? Put away the idolatry. Lord, it's all about you and this is what my purpose is on planet Earth. It begins with a yes, but it now needs to consume your life like a fire. And I'm just going to be real with you. If this is not touching a chord inside of your spirit, you don't know who God is. You don't like worship, then you do not know who God is. If you do not like praise and worship, you don't know who you are. You are the dwelling place of the Most High God. He has chosen to give His Spirit unto you by shedding His Son's blood to rip apart the veil so the presence of God could dwell inside of you. So that you would be a place of habitation of the presence of God wherever you go. Into the grocery store, to work, to your family meetings. Everywhere you go, there would be the presence of God that is there. And in the presence of God, depression goes, anxiety goes, addictions go, hate goes, lust goes, greed goes. All of it goes underneath the presence of the Most High God. But we got to get it inside of our, uh, our body, our soul, and our spirit again. In closing, Psalm 132. If you have a Bible, I'm telling you, open it up. Just read it. Let the ink come alive. Let the words come popping off the, word of the paper for you. And if you don't, just grab one in front. Come on. Yes, let your yes. It's not a big cost. Pick up a Bible and open it up. I mean, it's not a big thing. Send them the Bible, signs. Go to number 132 and you're there. Come on, you just hear it, we hear it. You read it and see it, it becomes alive, it becomes real. It's going to stick with you, as, as Bill says every week. Get into the Word, let it be with you. Psalm. It's like in, the, in the center of the Bible. 132, so it's towards the end of that book. The eternal dwelling of God in Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. Worship team, get ready to rock it out, man. Resting place. Lord, remember David. Remember David in all his afflictions. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house 
I will not go to the bathroom is what he is saying. The chamber of my house. I will not go to my bathroom or go up to the comfort of my bed until, I'm sorry. <laughs> I will not go into the bathroom. I will not go onto my bed. I will not give even sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We got to get in touch with our roots again. I can't go to the bathroom. I can't lay down in bed. I can't even close my eyes, dear Jesus, until I build you an altar of praise in the place where I'm at. That's David. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrath. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. The Lord cannot arise and go to a resting place if you've not built him a resting place. We've got to build him a resting place in this place. We've got to build him a resting place instead of our mind so he comes and he dwells. You and the ark of your strength, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and you let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will sit upon your throne the fruit of your body. From the seed of David shall come the eternal king, Jesus. That's what verse 11 is saying. If your sons will just keep my covenant and my testimony which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. Poverty, difficulty, where is the provision in a place of worship? There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself, his crown shall flourish. Come on now. Going through it. We have issue. We have problems. The enemies surround me, David says, I look unto the hills and I see where my help comes from. Every single time when David is suffering, when David is going through it, what he says is, come on, bring me my heart. Let me worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And through his plucking of the strings, even demons will leave King Saul. Because in the presence of God, demons cannot exist. In the presence of God, your worries disappear. In the presence of God, chains are broken. Warfare is set forth. The battlefield of your mind becomes cleansed. Becomes cleansed. One thing I ask, before I even go to the bathroom, one thing I ask before I even sleep, is behold your beauty. And to acquire of you in your temple. We have to get in touch. We got to get in touch. We got to tap into those spiritual ancient roots. 
of our faith. Father, we want this place to be a place of worship unto you. We want this physical building to be an atmosphere that invites your presence. Father, we want our minds to be a place that invites your presence. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And in your presence, my morning turns into dancing. And in your presence, every high thought, every thought of perversion and wicked way must flee. We invite you now, Lord God, right now with repentant hearts before you to say, let my mind, my body, my soul be a resting place for the God who was and the God who is and the God who is to come. Amen? Let us, let's worship. Let's get up and worship a little bit here. Jesus, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost big time, man. If you want like a real Holy Ghost encounter, I just want to lay hands on you. I want to pray for you. I want to see the presence of God fall on you in power and might. I want to see the presence just touch people's hearts. I want to see people fall to their knees. I'm not saying we have to do that, but I'm just believing. I am believing right now that there is a spirit of understanding. There is a spirit of release. Do you want to be touched by Holy Ghost fire? None of this, yes, I'm coming to the house of the Lord. I'm talking about a fire, yes. I was glad when they said unto me, let us worship before the Lord God. Mm. Come on, man. We're going to old school Pentecostal tent meeting. It's time to bring back those roots. Woo! It's time to get people dancing in the aisles again. It's time to get people coming up and getting laid on hands with oil and seeing people just come into the presence of God. It is the historic roots of this building. It is the historic roots of this denomination. Pentecostalism, A.G., Assemblies of God, distinguished themselves from all of the other denominations, said, we need the presence of God in our midst. We need to see people praying in tongues. We want to see prophecy go forth. We want to see words of knowledge. We want to see people getting up from their wheelchairs. The only, only way that that happens is when people come into the presence of God. So we invite your presence. Whew. If you're feeling stirred right now to pray for people, just come on now. But I'm believing that everyone in here, including myself, will eventually get prayer for if you want it. So even if you're going to pray for people, you will be prayed for as well. But if you just feel in your heart, I don't want just the board of elders to come down. I don't want just leadership to come down. I believe that there's an appointed time right now. If right now, I don't care if you've never spoken a word in this church. Or if you speak all the time. If you have a quickening in your spirit that says, I just got to pray for someone for the presence of God. Come on down and do it. And activate it. Let's do it. Worship team, let's get into the glory cloud. Amen.